scripture this morning comes from Peter's first letter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we did verses 1 and 2 last week, so we begin in verse 3. We will go all the way through verse 12. Um, so last week's sermon was 27 minutes. I covered two verses. We should ask John how to do that math, right? So um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, please read along in the Pew Bible. Um, it's found on page 1,203. It's towards the very end of the book, right? So you get 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and it's the only time uh, recorded in, in Scripture that Peter got to it first before John. That's some inside jokes because at the, in John's gospel, at, at the account of the resurrection, he, he claims that he beat Peter to the tomb. So that's a bad, past, that's a bad pastor joke. Just, it did. All right. In God's word, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, Peter begins his letter. We begin there, and he introduced himself to let all of his readers know all across the world that he is, in fact, the Peter who is the apostle of Jesus. But in his announcing who he was, he also, we remember that he announced who his audience is. And it's elect exiles of the dispersion, that he is writing to believers exiled all across the world. And that being an exile 
comes with a sense, it comes with a feeling of homesickness, a longing for the place where we truly belong, and a confounding spirit on how it is we are to behave, engage in the culture and the people around us who claim that we don't fit and that our kind are unwelcome and, in fact, we're looked down upon. And so Peter, ever the encourager, points to our salvation. He points to our salvation and its future goal. He points to its present trials and points to its past glories. And he does so in this attempt to encourage and and to comfort believers in exiles all around. Now, what Peter quickly points out when we read is that he wants to remind us that our ability, our ability to arrive safely at God's home is rested solely in God's mercy and is grounded in this great truth, that according to God's mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the crux of every message from Peter that we have a living hope, not some dream, not some wish, not some list of hopes that are to come that may not even be true, but a living hope that is a sure thing, a guarantee, because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Peter saw the empty tomb. Even though John beat him to the tomb, he saw the empty tomb. He was there when Jesus died on the cross and took his last breath. And he saw the empty tomb and he interacted with the resurrected Jesus. And when he saw that Jesus was resurrected, it completely changed his life. So what Peter wants us to know is that While we have faith in Christ, but we're in exile, we're dispersed all across the world, and and that we are not citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven. What he wants us to know is that while we are in exile, and we have this homesickness, this longing for home, and we have this confounding of spirit, that we are to be reminded we have been born again to a living hope. We have a living hope to hold on to. And it is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And he says, with that comes an inheritance. Paul likes to use the words co-heirs with Christ, right? So Jesus has an inheritance as the son of God. And so now that we have Jesus's righteousness through the imputed righteousness on the cross because he took on our sins and gave us his righteousness and Jesus is resurrected, we get Jesus's inheritance. And Peter says that inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, and that it is unfading and kept in heaven for you. 
kept in heaven for you. It's not that he's given it to us to hold on to, because if we were in charge of our own inheritance, we would have lost it by now. I'm pretty sure we've all lost or misplaced our phone for at least two minutes this last week. And our life was about over when that happened. Or we've misplaced keys, and some of us have even lost kids for just a minute. But by Peter sharing God's past activity of the resurrection of Jesus and, and pointing us to the inheritance that is a guarantee. It's not, it's not a maybe our father is going to spend it all and there's not going to be anything left for us. It's this inheritance that is guaranteed, that nothing is going to happen to it. It's not going to rust. It's not going to decay. It's not going to go away of any kind. Our father is holding on to it. That this promise of salvation is surely ours. It's being kept in heaven for you, guarded by faith and being kept by God's eternal power. While we may lose things, God has not forgotten you. This is important for Peter. This is important for us as Christians. While we feel we're in exile and, and we're homesick, and, and times are that maybe he forgot about us. Maybe he's not paying attention. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten his children. He does not lose us. And he's kept your salvation secure. Nothing to destroy it, to pollute it, nothing to cause its decay, and no one to wrestle it out of the grip of God's hand. It is there for you. And so Peter says we are to rejoice that this, being born again into this living hope with this sure inheritance because of the resurrection of Jesus, causes us to rejoice to be joyful, that our soul abounds with praises for God. That rejoicing isn't just a momentary thing, singing a song we are really into in worship, but the rejoicing comes from the depth of our soul with gratitude for what God has provided us. He says, rejoice even though you have been grieved by various trials. It's important for us to remember that God holds on to our inheritance with his eternal power that it's kept in heaven because there's times when we can believe that our present sufferings, our present trials, our present temptations eliminate our salvation or our hope, and that is a lie. but rather the trials and temptations and the sufferings we face in this life, Peter says, points to the genuineness of our faith. It kind of proves it out. It's like a refining fire, so to speak. And we begin to think, well, that's a bit scary. That's a bit scary because... It's in those moments of suffering and trials and temptations that my faith was questioned the most. And that it was the hardest to hold on to. 
And that's the good news that God is holding on to you. See, it's quite a thing for Peter to say this to us. Quite a thing for him to call us into rejoicing that God is great, that God is merciful, that our salvation is secure, that we've been born again because of Christ's resurrection. We have a living hope. And then immediately to tell us that suffering is our lot in life. That various trials are in fact for you. We grasp that on some level, but we also live on the beach in Florida. And there's days like today that happen probably 320 out of 365 days. The sun's shining, the weather's perfect, the pollen has left the air, hopefully. And it's a great day. We've got good things planned. We got to go to church and hang out with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The pastor didn't tell terrible jokes. <laughs> we'll see each other in the fellowship hall, shaking hands, glad to be around one another. But even with the sun shining so brightly outside, our days are not always that way. And even when we put the smile on our face, Someone says, how are you doing? And we say, we're doing great. There are times we say that because the pain of giving words to the suffering and trials we face is too great. Because if we become vulnerable in that moment, we're too afraid that the pain will double. And the one thing we are known to do in our lives as human is to avoid pain at all cost. In fact, people that seek out pain are people we say have a severe problem. But it remains difficult for us in the midst of that suffering and those trials that we face and the temptations we go through to be at peace, let alone rejoice. I mean, we can have this head knowledge. We understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross and three days later was resurrected, that we have this hope, that we have an inheritance that's imperishable, that God is keeping it secure for us. But in the very midst of the storm of suffering and trials and temptations, we lose sight of it. Not because we've forgotten it, but because our hearts have become clouded and filled with pain, pain so overwhelming our eyes can't see the one who is holding us and loving us through it all, and we begin to wonder, are we left alone? We begin feeling we've been left alone, and folks, I'm here to tell you your feelings are lying to you. If you always take your feelings as the truth, you are missing out on what is an objective and sure truth. See, our son Ellis, our middle son, he's deaf in his left ear. 
And through the years, my wife and I have counted that he's had around 15 surgeries, about 12 sets of ear tubes through it all, um, hundreds of doctor's visits. At one point, there was around four and a half months where he was on IV antibiotics at home three times a day at three years old. Ashley and I will occasionally mention it to the other one. And we'll look at each other as if they're talking about something that happened decades ago. That feels so small. Doesn't feel like it was that big. It's not even a blip on our radar anymore. But in that moment, in the midst, it was overwhelming. And we had no idea how long this would go on or if there would ever be a solution. But here you see, you see our three-year-old stitched up, bandaged up, drugged up, but he's drinking a slushie. He's got a smile on his face and he gives us a thumbs up. And it was him who reminded his mother and I, God's got this. All along the way. That's what Peter's, that's what Peter's telling us right here. In the midst of our exile, in the midst of our suffering and our trials and our temptations, God's got this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter again encourages us by also then telling us that the prophets of old and the prophecies they had of Jesus Christ's suffering and of his resurrection wasn't for their own gain, but it was for you. Because your salvation isn't something God just thought of. But that he has had a plan for you and your ultimate good from the beginning. That your salvation has always been a plan in his life. So in life, we suffer. We face the various trials and temptations. And what Peter does for us is he urges us to consider Christ. To consider Christ, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Because it's easy for us in the midst of the trials to lose sight. It's hard to keep our eyes on Jesus. For far too often, it's our present circumstances that we allow to define us. When the truth is, we've already been defined by the one who created us, who has redeemed us, and will hold us and has invited us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so there's this great reminder that Peter gives us. When he writes this letter, he, he writes that we do belong. 
we are beloved. And that nothing and no one can take that away because it's in God's hands. So dear friends, brothers and sisters, I know many of us are facing trials and sufferings and temptations right now in our lives. That we're in the midst of the struggle. And it's going to hurt to talk about it. And life doesn't feel fair. And guess what? God is not fair. God is just. But also God is loving. And he is kind. And he is patient. And he is gentle. And thankfully, most of all, he is merciful. And we look upon the cross and we remember just that. That according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's just as Ellis reminded me, but he also reminds you God's got this. God's got you. Amen.